This episode is brought to you by NoCD.com, effective treatment breaking the cycle of religious OCD. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Welcome in. Howdy, who, buckaroo? Good morrow. Make yourself comfortable. I know it's snowy out, so please take your shoes off. Get cozy. Here's a blanket. Here's a cup of tea. Are you drinking tea? Is that is that what you're drinking? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm back on this Egyptian licorice tea. And as backup, I do have a Raz Cran LaCroix. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. You know, it's funny you're drinking the licorice tea again because I uh, we have an open bottle of wine that's, and I'm not usually a wine person, unless I've learned I do like natural wine, turns out. But like normal wine, I'm not, it's, it just doesn't, it's hard to explain. I don't know why. I just don't like it. But we had this cab salve that was open and it's pretty good. Um, but one of the flavor notes is licorice and vanilla. Uh, um, yum. I took a picture of it so I could tell you what it is just in case you guys want to drink it. Please. Uh, it's a cab, Cabernet Sauvignon from Motif <laughs> in uh, Red Hills Lake <laughs> County. I don't I have no idea where that's at. It's probably that, in California. Say that second word again. Uh, yeah, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Thank you. And it's it's very like communion wine, and it's like on the edge of being a port wine. Oh. Like it's it's like so sweet, it's almost a sweet wine, but it's not quite. Like it's dry okay. enough that it's not. And then I'm also drinking, drum roll please. I'm drinking a decaf coffee from Treeline Coffee and Bozeman, little instant coffee packet. Um, I'm drinking the Guatemala River Float. Mm. It's great. I usually take them backpacking, but uh, honestly, I have more shit to do tonight and i like want to feel productive even if i don't have caffeine and coffee makes me feel productive i think do you know what this means josh is a beverage goblin yeah (laughs) i sure am yeah 164 episodes in and only one of us has gotten called a drink goblin (laughs) yes yeah you're consistently wear that badge proudly yeah so i am drinking as steven called it a what did you say a clinky beverage uh, yeah, I was just hearing clinks on the mic. Clinks, yeah, because I was stirring in. This was a gift from one of my uh, kids at the church. It's this hot chocolate packet that had Lucky Charms marshmallows. Oh, that's awesome. And yes. I was just I was just feeling that. So I had to stir that sucker up, and it's great. I like that idea. That's very clever. Well, uh, speaking of our beverages, we must thank our newest member of our little Patreon community, Brian. Thank you so much for funding our beverages this week. Um, Brian. As you can tell, your dollars stretched quite a ways because we all have, well, Josh and I have two beverages on hand and Emily. Emily Look, here's what happened. Here's what happened, Brian. Your seed, (laughs) your seed has been sowed into our ministry 
And we have grown that seed of faith into many drinks. Yeah. Many drinks. mm, Maybe, maybe not. Prosperity podcast. Yeah. No, that's not what I was thinking. (laughs) We went the clean Christian way, Emily. And the pastor did not. Ayo. (laughs) All right. It's my turn to bring a topic. And I feel like I, I mean, it was ghosts last time, but I feel like very often I'm bringing like, let's you know think about a specific emotion or think about like feelings and all those kind of things and i want to just like hard pivot from that what uh because i have a couple questions written down in my notes and i'm looking at both of them and i'm thinking i probably couldn't get two full episodes out of this so i'm kind of combining them in a way little halvesies little like arnold palmer situation yeah exactly um so the the first thing i want to do is as a group I'll be taking notes. I want to, oh, no. be, I want to write down as many words as we can think of that anthropologists and theologians. I said that word so weird. Theologians. I, I heard you thinking about saying theologists. <laughs> yeah, thank and that you. is also correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I want to interrogate what anthropologists and theologists. Um, I want to write down as many words as we can think of, of how we on the planet earth, the third rock from Mm. our sun, how we classify religions. Oh, starter pistol. Now monotheistic. Great. Polytheistic. Mono poly. I think of scope immediately. I think of like world religions versus like indigenous religions, like the smaller, like cultural ones. Oh, sure. Uh, denominations world yeah denominations yeah church i think is a very common word but is also obviously not in every religion but i think that it's like a commonly understood word doctrine doctrine oh yeah yeah theology so so doctrine other classifications i think of are like some religions are specifically like apocalyptic sure i would say some religions we could probably say are like enlightenment religions how do you think about that definitely yeah Mm. i'm trying to think more about your question of uh like what classification words would anthropologists and theologians Mm -hmm. share Mm -hmm. that is interesting i can't tell where you're going with this yeah but i think it's really interesting so far Um, we could probably think of like new religious movements yeah which you like to talk about a lot josh yeah okay so that's that's a good one so i thought about that one but i don't think theologians like maybe like the scholars will talk about that but like i think that in let's think in more scholarly terms then okay yeah, okay yeah yeah, 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 yeah yeah okay new religious movements actually i think religious movements is a good one too because like there's been many a movement that has been inspired by religion for better for worse mm-hmm. okay other ways i think about this is some people talk about like slave religion oh. um i don't know if i've ever heard that as a term what do you mean by that i I have heard it in terms of the way basically the black church in America Mm. embraced Christianity as like, like this is where we get like gospel music, right? Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think that a more... Maybe liberation is another way to turn that on its head. Oh, yeah. I think that's possible. That still feels very Christian to me, though. Sure. I think a broader term that would be more of a classification would be minority religion. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
or sect i think sect is a very it's a little outdated yeah now not that it, like we don't use it anymore but like most just like a lot of people don't use the word sect anymore but it's it's a very relevant term i think yeah i think minority sect also implies like majority religion or dominant religion yes That's, yes that is a term there's also like state religion oh yeah state religion that's good What's the one? Okay, Emily, I'm looking back at the first two you offered, monotheistic and polytheistic. Isn't there a word for when it's kind of like polytheistic, but I, I think of like the hierarchy and the Silmarillion for the world of the Lord of the Rings of like, there's Eru Iluvatar that is like the supreme god, but also created like demigods. But those are gods and not just like, uh, is there a specific word for that structure? Oh, um, 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 um. You might be thinking of henotheism. Yes, yes, I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you. If we're going to get down to not just like classifications of religion, which is maybe where you want to stay, but if we want to get into definitions of some of the forms and functions of religion, mm. I think we could get into things like uh, scripture, worship. I think that there are many different, within the anthropology and sociology of religion, I think there are many forms and functions that are more or less universally shared throughout different traditions. Actually, tradition is oh. a good one too, but I can't quite tell if you're wanting to try and stay like top level, like types of religion. Well, I like going top level because really I'm coming to how do we think modern Christianity would be classified with all the words we've just thrown out? And do we think that matches how it would have been classified 2000 years ago? Ooh. Or do we think it's evolved or changed? Oh. I like that question. Mm. Mm. Can I ask what brought this up? Honestly, a curiosity. Okay. <laughs> like, I've just been thinking about it. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. That's fair. Because you said that you had them written down, so I didn't know how long ago or... Yeah, pretty recent, actually. I think this is, would be, like, post my realization that I'm not a Christian. So maybe in a sense of, like... I'm not a Christian anymore, so I'm kind of like taking a step back and like getting a lay of the land of like what, what's similar, what's different. How do we classify Christian versus Buddhist versus Hindu versus, you know, truly curiosity. So, but I, I don't think a bad way to kind of do this, it's like we're doing comparative religion, but to modern Christian Christianity versus ancient Christianity. I don't think looking at the forms would be a bad way of doing that. So did, did we want to stack a list of like, forms of religion josh you've already started us with scripture worship tradition we could probably say like there's a priestly class involved yeah priest or clergy yeah mm -hmm. i feel like that's pretty universal i think like temple i was i was gonna say like faith community yeah because that would i think be more uh, broad i think all like faiths by definition have a faith community but not all of them have a uh, like are centered around a building like a temple or a tabernacle or something like that mm -hmm. but i think that would be a form of it is like we have pilgrimage oh, pilgrimage there we go oh there it, there it is oh there it is prayer devotion did we say liturgy no Ooh, that's a good one that is a good one do you feel like liturgy feels like too christian of a term i don't actually know if it is i wouldn't say so okay i think liturgy yeah and i think like call and response i think of like chanting i think of yeah i guess ritual in general oh ritual is a good one so with some of these ingredients here then i have all sorts of drawings and notes and my notebook looks very fun right now how would we classify how would we begin to classify modern christianity 
both with the classifications we've built and the uh, the forms we've kind of thought through. I think for all intents and purposes, Christianity should be defined as a dominant religion, even though I like I'm not as read up on this, but like I think it's very similar to how colonial white races have been Mm. in that, like, even if Christianity is not the world's dominant religion in many parts of the world, it has been the dominant religion. And in many parts of the world, it still is the dominant religion even if it's more cultural than broadly religious, like in the U S yeah, I think it could also be fair to call other, I think it could be fair to like define dominant religion by country or to have, or to like refer to other religions like Islam or Buddhism as also dominant religions in their own spheres. But I think, I think at least in the U S all of that to say the Christianity is a dominant religion. Would you argue that Christianity in the modern day is not a state religion. Well, I think there's an argument for older versions of it being a state religion, clearly. Well, what's funny about that is uh, then we're like quickly talking denominations because in the UK, it is a state religion. Good point. I think that is an interesting example of how uh, a religion, while under the same definitional umbrella, can have different classifications in different types of the world. Mm. Like, in very few parts of the world, Christianity is a minority religion. Yeah. I like that nuance. So it's a dominant and minority sometimes Yeah, in the modern day. I think, however, like even with the US, even though we technically do not have state religion, I think that religion often gets so closely linked with national identity. Mm-hmm. Even if someone is not a nationalist, I think that like we very often associate Christianity with America and the UK, and we very often associate Islam with the Middle East, and we associate Judaism with Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, like, in some ways, it is national ish. <laughs> Christianity is national ish. I like it. Like, it might as well be. Like, it's, it's so embedded in our culture mm-hmm. and in our constitution and on, in our, like, way of thinking and being and the way we approach work and, yeah, not to just like make this a U.S. history thing, but so I, I I have a question. This was one of the main questions that was in my notes. Would we then, looking back at ancient Christianity, and even that, I feel like we could nuance by the century or by at least movements of like five hundred years or so. Looking at what modern Christianity is, I have the words dominant, national-ish, state, sometimes minority, based on like whatever. And it's like minority because of anti-state actions of like, you know, you think of like the persecuted church in China, right? That Mm. I learned about when I was a kid. And that's because the state doesn't want it there. So it's the minority sect by state pressure and it's still related to the state. Do we, would we consider Christianity still an apocalyptic religion in the modern day or would we consider it a failed apocalyptic religion? Mm. I'm curious what Emily thinks about that one. <laughs> I'm ruminating. <laughs> I mean, like my, my gut feeling is yes and. Like, of, I think that the original apostles and many groups since have believed that Jesus is returning within their lifetime. Like, was imminent. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think very much has like defined our modern definition of apocalypse as like world ending 
versus like some yeah some versions of religion like don't even like think about the world that way Mm -hmm. so like i think in some ways yes the beginnings of christianity were founded upon potentially imminent like world shattering events Mm -hmm. and like certainly there's been like a an uptick in that in american christianity in the last like especially 50 years and many groups within Christianity have like still survived. Mm-hmm. So, but like also, I think there's so many, like the Methodists, for example, that like place almost no emphasis on that. Or they're yeah. like post millennial or they're a millennial and they mm-hmm. just have completely different views that don't even think apocalyptically. So, I mean, I want to say like yes, but also no. In the same way, I would also say, did Christianity start out as a cult? Yes, but also no, like kind of, but I think a lot of people that like want to say that are often trying to write it off as illegitimate. Like negate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, to me, it feels like I'm in the middle of an Aesop's fable and there's like a little (laughs) fox that comes up to me and sees me eating an apple and they're like, well, don't you know that apple started as a seed? Therefore, it's just a seed. And I'm like, right. What are you even talking about? Like, of course it came from... Of course Christianity started as a new religious movement. Yeah. It couldn't have started as anything else. I felt really Jordan Peterson-y saying it like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was not trying to channel that. What an energy. I don't claim him. But like, that's what it feels like to me is like, there's not even a question of whether or not it started out as a new religious movement. It just also happened to keep going. Yeah. I mean, like in, in America, right? We look at the rise of the Latter-day Saints church, right? And it's like, yeah, in relation to anything it's splintering out of, it's going to be a new religious movement, right? Judaism to Christianity, Christianity to Mormonism. Like, yeah, I totally see what you're saying there. <laughs> the Jewish to Christian to Mormon pipeline. <laughs> oh, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, how's your ruminating going? I really want to know what you think about is Christianity a failed apocalyptic religion? Well, okay, so you're all going to hate me. Um, <laughs> but you're going to say both and, too? Well, yes. But what I was actually going to focus on was the word apocalyptic. And if we're treating it as the original meaning, meaning an un- apocalypsis, meaning unveiling, then no, I don't think it was a failed. Mm. However, we, I'm assuming, are not treating it in, in that regard. In the modern day, we think apocalyptic and we think end times. Um, then, but that's because of Christianity. That's the only reason. Yeah, is it the no, only reason? It, yes, of course. I think so. So therefore, they've failed because it hasn't happened. Well, no, because some people would disagree. Some people would say we're in it right now. Hmm, okay, so okay. wait. I feel like you were making another point still about like no, that's not a failed apocalypse. That was your point. That was my point. Mm. Since Stephen has narrowed it down to how we're defining it, it's starting to feel. Having stepped outside of Christianity for a short amount of time thus far, uh, there's a way, I mean, like, obviously we talk about like, Paul thought Jesus was coming back in like two years or whatever. He was telling the Corinthians, like, don't even bother with like, I mean, this is a, <laughs> don't even put your P and V dudes. Yeah. Don't, you don't have any time for that. Uh, don't save for retirement. Like, don't worry about it. Don't Jesus. even save it for marriage. Don't get married. <laughs> right. Right. And that didn't happen. And like, I just start to wonder if like a couple of millennia later, 
Christians don't start looking more like the people who are like, no, this time I swear I got the Mayan calendar right. <laughs> like this time I swear I've crunched the numbers correctly. And it's like, what if we just let that go? I think we've just failed as a project to like have any meaningful imagination other than fear mongering world events into a very tightly bound theological system that's like oh my gosh war in the middle east shit's going down and they're and we're starting to read revelation like the mayan calendar and uh it just feels like a failed project to me and it feels kind of silly to look at it from the outside in now and i don't want that to reflect on you emily because i know you're doing a revelation study with your church right now right as we speak yes (laughs) yeah so but if you're participating in my class and Anne and Carrie are probably sitting there listening to this saying, God is good, Nero is bad. That's what it comes down to. Yes. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yes. That's what it comes down to. That is what it comes down to. Revelation is a political cartoon. Essentially, that's, a, again, a simplification, but I think it's a political cartoon speaking to the Roman Empire of the day. Uh, but I've also, I've also like been close with Christians who will be like, yeah, it's that. And it's talking about what's going to happen when Putin invades Europe and Mm. Hamas starts like Mm. throwing rockets at Israel, you know, and what's weird to me is thinking about this like apocalyptic religion that has just kind of, in my opinion, failed that project. What's weird to me is that the I'm going to keep calling it fear mongering because I, I think that's what it is. It That's so deep in me that when I see world news like that, a little, like my whole body tenses up. I'm like, Ugh. but like cognitively, philosophically, I don't believe that's true anymore, but there's something deeper that's part of that indoctrination of that theology that I've really been questioning, pondering. And that's, that's kind of inspired my whole, like takes step back and look around at like are other religions as obsessed with this as some even sects of christianity are different denominations are i just don't know i don't know this has nothing or maybe has everything to do with what we're talking about but i think there is some truth to say that there is even something for us as modern readers for texts like revelation where even though it was written for a very particular audience it survived all these years and i think as modern readers, we have this gift of being able to look backwards and to say, hmm, like what was happening or what were they afraid of was going to happen? And in a way, history is kind of repeating itself. You know, we kind of have modern neuros of our time. And hmm. I think the message of what those revelations were bringing to light was to say, hey, here's what happens when you pour your whole self, all of your belief into military into government like (laughs) Mm. they will fail you and i think we as modern people need to realize that like governments fail people fail because we're people and sometimes we do shitty things and when we pour our whole selves our whole hearts our whole beliefs into these powers into these mites into these governments they're going to fail us and we need to be cautious of what it is we are paying our allegiance to And we can be doing everything by the book. And at the end of the day, when we are still putting government, military, Mm. dominant, submersive people above 
loving our neighbor and actually caring for creation and resisting evil and injustice and oppression, we will find that we are failing. And that is what's being unveiled to us as modern people. And I think you find that, though, in other religions, even too. It's not just I think it's more prominent in Christianity, but I think we see that in other religions as well. Like, Mm. who are you paying your allegiance to? So I think it depends on how how you see it, you know, how how murky is the water and are you willing to stand in it long enough to see it settle down or are we going to just keep stirring the water and having the self-fulfilling prophecy of, see, see, it's all just a bunch of muck. So perhaps I am still guilty, even being on the other side of belief in Christianity, I'm still guilty of taking it too literally. Maybe. And, and, and if so, that's okay too. It's learning. It's the process of hmm. taking deeply systemic beliefs that you've been indoctrinated to believe and you're seeing it now on the other side. Hmm. But that's going to take time like for, for you personally to work out and there's nothing wrong with that. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine being worried about committing a sin in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make it go away. That is religious OCD. It can come with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about breaking a religious rule or offending God. No CD offers effective, affordable, and convenient exposure response prevention therapy. ERP therapy is a type of CBT, and it's considered the gold standard treatment for OCD. With No CD, you can do virtual, live face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. As someone currently seeing a therapist having conversations about scrupulosity or religious OCD, I can say personally how helpful this treatment has been for gaining new perspective. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective, evidence-based treatment. To find out more about NoCD, visit nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. So I did have a thought, kind of spurring from this question of, is Christianity a failed apocalyptic religion? The next thought that led me to was, as a failed apocalyptic religion, was it inevitable that Christianity became a dominant state religion? Mm. And I don't know the answer to that, but it's really ironic that it did. I think, isn't it though? 
like so maybe it's not inevitable i bet there's some really good scholarship on that because it feels so ironic to me and like to answer your original question like i think of course christianity has changed since the beginning like both in form and function Mm -hmm. and in belief and in splintering and unraveling i think that there's so much that is different from original christianity than present christianity but what's and this is like a side point of my own. And this isn't really getting to your point. Uh, Great. <laughs> admittedly. Great. Uh, but like, I find it so interesting when Christians and non-Christians alike try to use that as a critique of like, well, like it's different than it used to be. So like, therefore, either, and like the coming to the different conclusions of either, therefore we need to get back to it or therefore it invalidates it all. Mm. And it like, it feels like such a misnomer to me because like, of course it's changed. Like, it's really interesting. Yeah how it's changed but we're still relying on like arguments of purity for that either direction yeah yeah and like yeah and using that argument of purity like in to very different ends which is like so fascinating it just shows that people don't know how to use logic (laughs) apologetics taught me one thing it's logic yeah (laughs) um oops but uh to wrap it back around the irony of it becoming a state dominant yeah that right. does feel really ironic to me. And it's, uh, I will say, I think that any Christian in the modern day, in my opinion, should be seeking to divest from those empiric views of Christianity as much as possible. And like for me, for myself, I think that means not going to church. And I don't like, I don't know if I'm going to return to church, especially if my beliefs keep changing, but maybe someday I will. And I'll find a church that I think is like trying to desubscribe from empire and like preach against that. And like, I think that's why like for so many years I found such like comfort in voices imperfect as they might be in people like Shane Claiborne or Rachel Mm. Held Evans or like just Mm -hmm. like other people that are like preaching against empire. And I think that's why we gravitate towards people like MLK Jr., Dr. MLK Jr. And like, we see why that's so powerful because someone who is coming from a lineage where religion was used to oppress is now using that same religion to preach against that oppression of the empire. Mm -hmm. And like, it's so impossible to see that as bad unless you are racist. Mm -hmm. Like, sorry if that's a straw man, but like, Mm -hmm. like, of course that's good to like preach against the oppression of people. (laughs) So like moments like that feel like quote unquote, true Christianity to me, Mm -hmm. even though I, I'm not sure if true Christianity exists but like that feels very original i guess ish see our episode on originalism and maybe why that's a fallacy but <laughs> in this case i'm using it in my favor <laughs> <laughs> selective um, yeah <laughs> selective bias selected <laughs> yeah because it can be i mean we've we've witnessed in america in the last three presidential terms two presidential terms that apparently anything jesus has said can be used for anyone's political gain. I don't know how mm-hmm. that seems so ass backwards to me that we can get MAGAism out of the Bible, but apparently we do. Right. Maybe that's why it's hitting so close to home of like, if an apocalyptic project fails that so often, we've got to set our sights somewhere else. So what were the options? Oh, look at this. It turns out that if we get a lot of people on board and tie this to the power of empire in the state, we can go places. We can we can we can expand empire under the guise of missionary work. Oof. 
Yes. Which is still what we do yep. in tw- the year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you. Second question. <laughs> this is the second question of my notes right here. Can we think of any religions that are just fully unsubscribed from being apocalyptic at all? I would probably argue that this is why I brought up like there's apocalyptic religions and then something like enlightenment religions. Cause that feels like that somehow feels like the alternative, at least that I can think of, of like if, if a religion is sure. not interested in the end times, cause I want to hold on to like the unveilingness of it all. But if we're not interested in like trying to predict the end of the world as we know it or anything like that, like what, what, what then do we have? What then does a religion yeah, do? Yeah, but even in even in like some sects of Buddhism, and I wish I could remember which ones, but like there are like militant and apocalyptic sects. Mm. Like historically, there have been. Or like I don't know if there are any current right now. Honestly, I wish I was more read up on it. But like I think every major religion at some point has militarized and or is militarized. Oh yeah, is and has either been fully believing apocalyptic or used apocalyptic language to uh, thread their militarism, Mm. like the Crusades. Mm -hmm. Not that those always go hand in hand, right? Like, obviously, so many religious movements have been apocalyptical and more or less peaceful. Like, even if their group ended in, in death or life, like, many groups have been one or the other. But I don't think that it's exclusive to Christianity, and I, mm. I don't think that Christianity inevitably gets us there either. I, I think it's like a yes and, too. Like, so, yeah, I mean, like, being weaponized or militarized... If I hear you correctly, you're saying, like, if the motivation is there, we'll figure out a way to make it happen and, like, tie it to that. So then do we think, just as a classification, religion must be apocalyptic in some way? Well, well. Because I'm looking at Buddhism and thinking they're on to something different because I don't hear Buddhists talking about prophecy or the end of the world or... Yeah, but there are Buddhist prophets. Like, there is a view of prophecy in Buddhism. It's just that, like in the Western version, we've got for like meditation as and, like future telling, like, mindfulness. That's sure. like yeah, yeah, really. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, but it's just like not as like a we're Westerners, so like we're like not interested in that. It's a different mind, sure. Yeah, and mm-hmm. B, I think that it is thought of a little bit differently than the way that Christian prophecy has been mm-hmm. kind of taught. Because I think like Christian prophecy, like. I don't know if it was ever explicitly taught to me this way, but like I always thought of the Christian prophets as like had a vision from God or like God was like whispering in their ear while they were writing it kind of thing. And that could be just childish and simplistic, but that Western or Eastern, we can look at prophets as like, no, these people are just like tuned in and like following the movements of human behavior and they can see what's coming. You know, we can see what's coming in America. If we keep behaving this way, like, are those the prophets then? Um, anybody who wants to read about... Just, sorry, I'll answer your question here in a second. Anyone who wants to read about apocalyptic Buddhism, you should look up the article Buddhist Eschatology on Wikipedia um, and how the Buddha taught that um, his teachings would die out after 5,000 years and like the earth would go through a cycle of being destroyed and recreated. And like there's, there's like a whole like wow. mythos of apocalypse in Buddhism. Not to say everyone believes that. That's obviously a broad brush and i'm i'm sure that there are just as many thoughts on that as there are on christianity uh but i think it it certainly exists so i think to answer 
my, my answer to your question, Stephen, is I don't think Christianity is the only one, certainly. And I also don't think Christianity will inevitably be, be apocalyptic. But going back to Emily's point, I think that religion is always trying to reveal to us the nature of humanity. And so, like, regardless of, like, the eschatology, I think that religion is inherently apocalyptic in the sense of trying to reveal truth. Thank you. That's why words matter. Because apocalypse yes. means <laughs> unveiling. So, yes. <laughs> when we try to limit our definitions, we find that we're skewing an answer. Um, this has been Silly Songs with Emily. <laughs> nice. Thank you. I'm here all week. Um, I was just thinking of other religions, though, and I was thinking Norse traditions. Hello, Ragnarok. Like, mm. yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, we even find, like, in other religions that are not widely followed you know i think of like mm. sikhism is maybe the only one off the top of my head mm. but i'm sure if i was to do enough research there would be something mm. but again if we're looking at apocalyptic meaning unveiling it's going to be inevitable that something is revealed in all religions sure <laughs> if we're limiting it to just calamity and end of the world then yeah it, yeah okay. i see what you're saying so like i i think this whole episode so far has been me truly thinking in that eschatological way yeah you are very eschatological yeah which like i do think that's an interesting question because actually one of the questions i have written down um from forever ago and i just haven't found a way to bring it up is like how much does cosmology or cause yeah cosmology and eschatology how much does it actually matter because like every religion really does interest itself in telling a story about like our beginning and our end and like yeah regardless of who actually believes those stories literally every religion like wants to talk about that and mm -hmm. i think that's i think that is really interesting like kind of the question of like what can we learn from an idea of apocalypse hmm but what if you're like me and i'm just not even interested by that question anymore <laughs> Then so like okay. I'm 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 really thinking like is it possible how would you two engineer a religion that successfully decoupled from any form of like future telling or end of the world eschatology like it is it possible to I wouldn't have a beginning Okay wow okay so if you have a beginning you have to tell the end of the story too I mean all things come to an end and that's not to say that there's a new beginning. Whoa. But things at some point do end. That was such a smart fucking answer, Emily. You came out of the gate <laughs> so fast with that. Wait, but that's just like apocalyptic still, right? <laughs> what is? Like that's talking about the end of things. Yeah, exactly. Because things but, end, but we see it, mm -hmm, but we mm -hmm. limit it to being this great catastrophic, monstrous occasion, but end of... Like everything ends at some point. I think the 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 catastrophizing of it is it's kind of my same same opinion of why people are afraid of aliens of like, oh, we assume the aliens are going to be like the xenomorphs and just like gore our brains out and <laughs> implant their babies in our bellies. You know, we're afraid of aliens because <laughs> uh, we recognize that that's what we would do if we landed on another planet. I think we ultimately are afraid of ourselves because we've done that to our own human Correct. race. <laughs> we're afraid of ourselves. So like we think of our the end of that in catastrophe is like when we think apocalyptic movies, we think the world opens up and swallows a whole city or 
a wave buries an entire country or a nuke goes off and vaporizes. And that's just, that's still, we're just afraid of us. Right. Or afraid of like, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, but also no, going back to our last episode. Oh, I'm sorry. You go ahead and finish. Emily's point though. Gosh, that was so insightful. And so fa- I'm still amazed Emily <laughs> by like, if you want a religion that doesn't, bother itself with worrying about what the end will be or what the future will be. Don't start the story at the beginning. Don't even tell a beginning of the story. Yeah. yeah, but that's, but also that is how stories work. They have a beginning and a middle and an end. So mm-hmm. right. <laughs> if I think you would have to make religion, not a story then. So it would have to be like just tenant based and like that could be arguable towards like, paganism and or forms of satanism that like i think some like indigenous religions can do that too sure maybe yeah but those are also cultural too that like i feel like they're often so tied to like historical like history of the group or like ethnicity i mean it might be out there too like i think there probably are some traditions that are less story driven but like i feel like also there are things other than stories though that have beginnings and middles and ends Okay, like life. Yeah, but except except I would argue the idea of heaven. <laughs> we get to the end of like the end of the world and then we're in eternity and like and that's why heaven breaks our brain so bad or like the idea of eternity breaks our brain so bad is because we can't we can't grapple with that. We can't put edges around that. We don't have a beginning, middle and end. I don't know. I, so then I, why would we want a religion that doesn't have a beginning, middle? Or, like, if we can't wrap our brains around heaven, how would we wrap our brains around an entire religion that has no beginning, middle, or end? Maybe you just don't. Or you understand that a scope closer to home is actually okay. Like, mm. like in the same way I think of, like, the way I deconstructed the idea of, like, a global flood being the story in Genesis 6, and that's what happened to Noah, is, like, if... If you saw everything you encountered as the world covered in water, you would assume it's global and you would write a story as if it was global, right? I think we do the same thing. I mean, like, truly just calling it the Anthropocene, like, our story is human-centric because we're the ones who got to write it down and our scope is here, this planet, you know? But, like, I'm making an argument for vastness and bigness and whatever we want to think about the universe is... uh Maybe I'm just not concerned with the beginning or the end anymore. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just. It's the climb. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yes. I hear you. And I, I think that's an interesting question. I think that's an interesting answer to like, is cosmology and eschatology actually that important? Like to have a, like a healthy theology of, or to have the, uh, like to correct our incorrect thinking of like whatever it is. But also to go back to last episode, like I think what you're saying here is that you think cosmology and eschatology is all idle talk. Oh, that's fine. Maybe. Yeah. This could be one of those territories where, yeah, now I'm just like, I don't know why we're talking about this. Sure. But to play uh, devil's advocate a little bit to that, to my own question, yeah. <laughs> to your answer to my own question, <laughs> um, which I did not expect to play already, by the way. I think that for people who are ingrained in cosmologies and eschatologies that are hyper fixated on a singular correct interpretation, whether or not that interpretation does real harm, like for instance, being militarized 
for the apocalypse. I think that unless we are willing to talk about those and like be willing to consider somebody's somebody else's view that they might consider ours or like consider that there are other interpretations within their own tradition of those cosmologies and eschatologies, then like how will we ever break out of being afraid every time Israel goes to war in the Mideast that Jesus is coming back and going to destroy us all? Like, because so many of us have that, like, like so many of us were raised with specific ones that like, of course, they're like deeply embedded in us and not just like on a therapeutic level, even though I do think we need to talk through those things Mm. and acknowledge to ourselves where we think we are not anymore. But like for people who are maybe where we once were, like if we aren't willing to engage those conversations, then those are just going to continue, in my opinion. Mm. But also, I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, choir. I'm preaching to myself a little bit here, because like going back to last episode, I'm not necessarily talking about theology with everyone. I'm not necessarily bringing up to all my friends like, oh, you know what, my idea of salvation changed a long time ago, or my idea of eschatology is not the same anymore. But like, I think that it goes a long ways when we make ourselves available to even be open to having conversation about things, even if we're not like speaking all of our beliefs loudly from the rooftops. Hmm. I think that is for me what makes cosmology and eschatology not idle talk still, even though I like, I don't feel like I emphasize them and they don't have like day to day implications. Well, I guess maybe that's not true. Maybe they do in some ways have day-to-day implications for me, but I'm not necessarily consciously thinking about them every day and certainly not in the ways that I used to because I used to believe differently. But I think that, yeah, I think it's still worth talking about, I guess. I guess that's mm. what I'm trying to say. Mm. Even if we don't have the answers, like even if, even if we're more open-handed to, to, I think, Revelation and the idea of apocalypse is maybe trying to tell us something about humanity and not necessarily the end of the world prophetically like even if we're not sure exactly what it's saying like to i don't remember which one of you made the point but like the idea that like these thousands of years old books and every religion seems to want to talk about our beginning and our end of humanity and whether that's meant to be transposed onto the individual or people actually think that those are prophetically telling the story of humanity and the way that we will end up inevitably all of that's up for discussion, and I think that's why, in my mind, it's like not idle talk. Wow. But also, if you don't want to talk about it, for you, just don't. That's also fine. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not. I'm not saying you need to be talking about this all the time. You need to be on the street corner preaching. Although, you know what you made me think of earlier, Emily, is that like, I like there's a really interesting act now. The deal only lasts today. Of like, <laughs> like a urgency. really hardcore. Yeah, urgency of like really hardcore apocalyptic hyper fixators. And like, I think if that was done in a healthy way, that could actually be like really effective to like help change people's lives. Like if you were like, Mm. Hey, you like you're ruining your life. Like you need to act now, like snap out of it. You're going towards the end. (laughs) Like if it was like more about like actually affecting people's here and now than it was turn or burn eternally it's more like turn or burn right now like your life sucks i don't know but also that's like just such (laughs) cheesy marketing and like 
totally takes advantage of people in other ways. But I don't know. You made me kind of think about that. Like it does. Because if you're not going to follow through with helping them, then mm. you know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. I don't think many Christians know what it means to actually make disciples and that like making a disciple is a lifelong commitment and not just uh tally up another decision for Christ's brother made a disciple. Quality versus quantity. Yeah. I preach that all the time. <laughs> I love all the sing song today. It's been silly songs with Emily. Um, Stephen, I'm really curious for you. I mean, maybe you won't have an answer to this. Sure. Maybe this will be its own episode someday. Oh. Because you'll need more time to think about it. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts about what it's felt like to go through an apocalypse of Christianity. Like, oh. I think in some ways you feel like the blinds have been lifted, the scales have fallen like Paul, and like, mm. or the, the, did I say the veil has been lifted mm-hmm. <laughs> already? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, has it felt like an apocalypse to you or like less than an apocalypse that you expected or? It has. Um, <laughs> in some ways, I think it's been more of an unveiling of me. Mm. And I don't know, I've kind of hinted, hinted at this last episode, but um, I've been doing some really deep therapy work that's kind of been ripping me up lately around religious trauma and my experience of burnout and gaslighting and betrayal and all those kind of things. And in many ways, like I said, that I think that's been an unveiling of me And at the same time, I don't know if I can speak to what I think my like apocalyptic vision of uh, Christianity is now, because I think it's so deeply coupled with such like personal hurt. I've caught myself several times having some pretty, uh, pretty intense feelings of like disgust toward Jesus of Nazareth, Mm. like. I th- th- there have been like verses that have come to mind where you know right now it's it's coupled with the face of people who have let me down and hurt me under the guise of like loving me with the truth. Yeah, I mean like there there have been some words of Jesus that I'm like, "Oh no, actually fuck that." I no. I think that's wrong right now. Um but I'm I'm trying to do the work and give it time to figure out if that's truly what I'm like kicking against or if all of that is still too wrapped up with the face of staff members of the church I used to work at. So maybe super personal, right? But um, I will say this as kind of my closing thought before Emily gives us a, uh, an off ramp here as a person who has been engaged in religion for the vast majority of his life, nearly three entire decades of it. I want to honestly give something like an earnest plea isn't the right word, an earnest word of advice to those of you who represent religion. You wield a lot of power. And when you wield something like eschatology around as a way to inspire giving money to your organization and inspire good according to you behavior that has more impact than you probably think. And for some of us, the right call to find a place of safety psychologically and sometimes physically is to leave the religion you represent 
entirely because you've made it a place that's not safe. And I just want you to know what you hold in your hands when you speak to a church goer. Because even if your paradigm of the end of the world is true, especially if your paradigm of the end of the world is true, you will have some accounting to do. Mm. Sorry, that got really heavy, but damn. No, I think that's valid. And I think more often than not, we forget that beginnings of stories and endings of stories are written on things that fade away. They're not permanently fixed in reality as we know it. And so we really do have a chance to alter the story and how it ends. Things do end, yes. They don't have to be catastrophic. We have a hand in that. And I think if we are to care so much about how something ends, we should maybe care about the direction that we're going in and how today impacts our tomorrow. And I think that's why even if for some people this conversation seems idle, pointless, stupid, for others, it means everything to them. And for everyone in between, they're not sure. At the end of the day, all of those are valid and all of those matter. And that's exactly why we have these kinds of conversations. We don't know who's listening. We don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what their future has for them. But we know that we're all connected in this. And even if what we say has no meaning at the end of it all, at the end of it all, what we've found is friendship, connection, and ways to have more wholesome, heartfelt dialogue. And that's a beautiful end. <laughs>